Hi, I'm Emily Abbott, the founder of The Brain Possible. We've created this space, our website, and this podcast to offer hope, to explore possibility over limitations, and to create community for families of exceptional children like yours. This is personal to me. I know firsthand that great change cannot come from a place of hopelessness. My son Carter's life taught me to run full steam ahead in the opposite direction of limitations and never to be. In this work, we know we are not providing one specific solution to one specific problem. We're doing something more, moving toward a transformation of spirit. And we try to spread that message one connection at a time. Here, on this podcast, we'll begin another. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. Yapa Crane Loria, an ADHD pioneer since 1984, has dedicated her life to helping those with ADHD and their families. As a person with ADHD herself, she coaches parents that there is nothing wrong with their children or their parenting. At The Brain Possible, we strongly resonate with this message. Yafa is the author of How to Train Your Parents in Six and a Half Days and the Amazon Kindle bestseller, Getting Schooled. 102 Practical Tips for Parents, Teachers, Counselors, and Students about Living and Learning with ADHD. Her most recent book is Six Word Lessons for Parenting Your Child with ADHD, 100 Lessons to Take Your ADHD Child from Blocked to Brilliant. In today's chat, we'll uncover some of those lessons and learn all we can from Yafa. Let's get started. Well, welcome, Yafa. It's so wonderful to have you here on the Brain Possible podcast. Can you talk a little bit about your ADHD um, and what your journey has been like to start? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was a kid, um, my mother told me I first got in trouble at age two. Um, (laughs) So uh, I wasn't diagnosed as a child. And pretty much everybody was confused. My mom at the time was working with kids who had what was called hyperkinesis at the time. And Mm. she was sure that I didn't have it. So I was sort of treated like a lot of undiagnosed kids and adults are as, you know, this is, oh, this is Yafa. This is something in her that's not right. And maybe it's a behavior problem or maybe it's a, you know, willfulness or stubbornness or Mm -hmm. defiance. And so I was treated as a child who was defiant when that's not what I was going for at all. I was trying to be good. Yeah. Um, I didn't. So elementary school was an alternative school, but I was more alternative than the alternative school. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that And then I went to public school and I loved it because everything was very clear. Um, it, in the alternative school, you had choices, but then you could do them wrong for some reason. Uh-huh. Um, but, but in the public school, it was very, very clear cut what you were supposed to do and everybody was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I felt um, a lot more... I felt like I belonged more Mm. and like I really understood things. So, and I did well in public school. Um, I I can't say that uh, school is not my challenge. I had more social challenges that were really difficult. Um, Like uh, just saying, like just blurting out stuff like this is stupid or can we do something else or that sort of thing. And then, um, so went to grad school and um, went to college, went to grad school. Oh, I guess I should tell you about my, the guy. (laughs) The guy in my case is a teacher. Um, When I was 15, I had this teacher who just 
totally got me. Mm. Um, and it, everything I've done since then is with him in mind. Um, cause I wanted to be like him. Like how, how do you reach somebody who everybody thinks is, um, just trying to cause trouble. And so those kids are my kids, you know, <laughs> like I totally get where they're coming from because yeah. a lot of times we're just trying, we're just extra curious or where we just want to feel like we belong and we're not sure how to do that. Um, so he really changed things. He really changed things for me. And so I went to college, went to grad school. Um, and after I got my first master's degree, um, I was in therapy and the therapist said, you know, I think you might have, it was called minimal brain dysfunction at the mm -hmm. time, <laughs> not ADHD. Wow. And I was <laughs> like, minimal brain, that's a horrible name. <laughs> I, I clung on to the word minimal <laughs> so, because I mean, I was like, obviously, I mean, I had master, I had a master's degree, so obviously I wasn't you know, struggling in school, that wasn't where it was, but, but it really made me feel like, oh, this isn't me. This is a glitch that I have. And because mm -hmm. I thought it was like a personality or character defect. And I really thought there was anything I can do about it because I tried, you know, I, I, had a history of starting the school day saying, I am not going to get into trouble. Aww. And then, you know, I'm going to be good today. Nobody's going to notice me today. Aww, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, um, I don't know, like a couple hours later, you know, they're like, you're staying in for recess. And I'm like, I, how did I get from here to here? I have no idea. And so I really thought I was just like, I'm uncontrollable, which is what I was told. So, um, so I worked really hard to try to control myself. And, and then I got this diagnosis and I was like, oh, this explains so much. And it was, it was really a huge relief. So that was my up to then. And then I decided, well, I, like I said, I get those kids. Those are my kids those are my people. So I'm just going to focus on them. And knowing that um, they could be in lower level classes because their, their genius, let's say, is not recognized. They're not teaching to their strengths. Um, or they could be in honors classes like I was. So it wasn't a matter of the level of education that I was teaching or the age group, but just how do I make a classroom um, accessible to as many people as possible? And so I was definitely given some interesting classes, I have to say, but you know, my goal is to really love those kids and um, make them, like give them opportunities to feel really good about themselves. Yeah. Confidence, right? Because they didn't have a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, so getting in trouble all the time and mm -hmm. and feeling just like, why don't I fit in anywhere? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it's real, and it's really funny. Like someone will go, "But I have ADHD," and I'll be like, "Cool, I have it too." And they'll, they're like, "What?" You know, like you do. Um, and then after um, teaching, I uh, started doing counseling. And usually I was uh, school counseling and usually I was given the kids that were called uh, at risk. Mm. And that could be anything. It could be something going on in their homes that made them, you know, like a parent dying, mm. alcoholism, um, a, a house burned down. I mean, there, there's lots of reasons that a kid could be sort of, you know, on edge and just not functioning well. And those are the kids that I get. And those are the kids that I just, I mean, I love kids, but man, I love those ones that are <laughs> just misunderstood because it's just nice to be able to like, see that gleam in their eye when they're like, Oh, that's exactly what I'm trying to say, or that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. 
Yeah. That's really special to, for someone to have someone like you. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know if there's like quality control, but to have your unique person as, as the counselor for someone coming in there, that's, yeah. It's, those children are fortunate. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's not something that I could have predicted because, um, because even though I was smart, it was one of those, okay, you're smart. But as a girl or a woman back then, I could do the exact same thing as a guy and get <laughs> out, you know? So it was basically like, you aren't gonna, you aren't gonna make it at work because. You don't fit within that mold. <laughs> right. I don't fit within the mold. You could be smart, but people don't understand you anyway. And, you know, almost like you're, you're too smart. And <laughs> so it was just. Oh my gosh. So how did ADHD impact your career in education? You know, it didn't much, except that I did change the way I was teaching Mm. um, to be more um, heart-focused and brain-focused. How can I teach a lesson so that they're brain is going to be stimulated and how can I teach a lesson so that they feel connected to the class or to the lesson or to me enough to want to pay attention because if you've got a lot of things going on and today's kids do Mm. um you're you know you're distracted all the time there's there a lot of things to distract you so so whatever class I got I tried to teach it sort of like for the ADHD kids, but it was no hardship for the other kids. Um, It just meant that um, some of the other kids thought that the class was easy, which it wasn't. Um, And some of the kids were like happy to get some extra A's or B's, you know? So it was just, I just made sure that I addressed everybody Mm. um, instead of just the ones that were standing out. Can you say more about that? Like how, Mm -hmm. like what are some of your methods in the classroom? So one thing I did was um, I really, really encouraged participation. Like we would go around, we'd kind of snake it around the desks Mm -hmm. and go through questions. And the kids were really used to that. And um, they could answer a question. If they got it wrong, they got, I, I did these point things because it just was, it made sense to me, but I know for other teachers, it's very complicated. If you tried and didn't get it right, you still got, you still got some credit. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you passed, if you said pass, nothing, you didn't get a zero or anything, nothing happened to you. Um, You just didn't get points. You didn't get anything. Um, And then the, you could get points taken away by doing um, like by being disruptive basically. Yeah. And I explained to them, you know, here's what I need just because I have ADHD. So here's what I need from you, which is I needed hands raised because if everybody's talking at once, I can't sort out who's saying what. So, um, so it became sort of a game and we did, play it as a game. I mean, I think that's super, super important to be, to be serious, but because we want to take their lives seriously, but we also want to be playful because Mm -hmm. they're, they relate to play. I mean, they're kids. So, so it was sort of like, um, they were really into the participation points. And even if you got points docked, so to speak, you could easily earn them back because a plus canceled out a zero, blah, blah, blah. So it was no big deal. It was just like, oops, you know, um, you know, shouldn't have said that or whatever, but they knew that they could, you had to, you had to make a firm decision to fail, (laughs) to fail in my class. Like it had to be, you had to devote your time to failing because, um, because I wanted participation um, because I, I believe that participation, you know, would be stimulating the brain. I mean, obviously it would be. 
And that's what I wanted. I wanted their brains stimulated. I didn't want them just like sort of sitting back and being like, nah, whatever. So, and I did have, um, when I was observed by, you know, by the administration, they said that I had um, the most participation of any class. Wow. So, yeah. That's great. So that was great for you to be able to listen to them one at a time by raising their hand, mm-hmm. but also, well, one, I think explaining to kids that that's why you want them to do it that way yeah. helps them to like understand that that's helpful for a lot you and other right. people <laughs> that they will encounter. And um, also probably even though kids like to talk over each other, they don't understand and they're not listening if multiple people are talking either, even if they haven't, right. don't have ADHD. Right. You just can't really listen to multiple conversations at once. Yeah. Okay. So you say that your brain is your favorite uh, thing about yourself. Um, what has this mindset done for you? Can you share about that more? Yeah, sure. So I think sort of conventional wisdom says that something's wrong with our brain. Those of us that have ADHD, there's some, there's something wrong. And then there's the other side that says, oh, it's a superpower or it's a gift. And I'm, my feeling is it's just, it's not either. It's just a thing. And that thing can be um, watered, so to speak, you know, it can blossom and, you know, you just get them, like using certain techniques and you find out more about the kid or the adult. And Mm -hmm. then, so for instance, I want to find out, this is going to sound, well, it won't sound weird. Like where (laughs) in your body do you feel time passing? So like really specific questions like that. Yeah. So that they can find what works for them because what works for one person is not going to work for another. And most of the approaches, many of the approaches to ADHD, especially if you don't have ADHD, is sort of let's give the kids or the adults, um, let's teach them the way it's done, you know, and it's like that's counterproductive um, because it's not sustainable. I can learn how a neurotypical brain does X, but if it doesn't apply to you... (laughs) Right. It has to feel like that's me. Oh, I can do that. Otherwise, it's just not sustainable. So so I spent <laughs> a ton of years, um, you know, just working with kids. And the, the cool thing about working with them every day, as opposed to a, like a doctor that sees them maybe once every three to six months, um, is that I could see right there what worked and what didn't work. And so I could adjust immediately if I needed to, whatever that adjustment was. Maybe it was an extra explanation. Maybe it was try this first. With a doctor, you tend to have to, you know, call in and say, I don't think the pills are working, you know, kind of thing. Or can I raise them? And, you know, there's some delayed involvement and response. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the cool thing about being a teacher was I really got to see how brains um, change. And so once I get that brains can change, like the sky's the limit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that um, about it's almost like taking the stigma away from a label because it's not it's not that it's a gift and it's not that it's a deficit. (laughs) <laughs> really? Right. Even though right. we call it that. I know it's in the but, name, but <laughs> we, we're going to ignore that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it applies to not just ADHD and ADD, um, but all the uh, neurological diagnoses that um, parents who listen to this podcast um, are dealing with. And I think labels have a purpose in like helping you to maybe guide certain treatments or to help you know, start navigating, um, like giving you a map maybe or an explanation. But beyond that, you don't want to get stuck in it. Right. And I I think that also people don't realize that um, those of us us with not neurotypical brains, um, 
it's just so funny how everybody wants us to act like somebody who's neurotypical when if you think of a bell curve, neurotypical is right in the middle. So basically, I feel like I'm yeah. like ahead of the middle, but you want to push me back to the middle kind of thing. Yeah. Because, because I've been given an outlook on life and a way to process information and generate information that is um, unique. And so have the people who have um, like traumatic brain injury or the people who have um, sensory processing disorder. Or, you know, we that aren't neurotypical have been given this, this book of information that we have that neurotypical people don't have about us. So, so it's sort of like, here, read my book, not literally a book, but, you know, get to know me because, because we can teach you stuff, not just about us, but about how thinking works, how the world works, how people perceive each other, you know, so, and so it's really important that we be included. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm just like thinking about how right now, um, there's a lot of conversations in, in the world going on about um, trying to be inclusive of everyone. Yeah. And we're talking a lot about race and sexuality and um, some big topics. But that applies also here for sure. this community. Yep. Because yep. um, there's a whole bunch of people who don't fit into this typical, that bell curve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's it, it's important for us to talk about that too, bring awareness Agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have something that might change your life, so to speak. You know, it's not oh, yeah. just it's not just, oh, we need all these neurotypical people to teach us how to do X, Y, and Z. Like we've got stuff. <laughs> so Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of this, um, you yeah. tell parents that there is nothing wrong with their kids or their parenting. And I absolutely love that message. Because this is different than most practitioners' approaches. How do your clients generally respond when you say that? I imagine it's kind of like a big exhale. Yeah. So, you know, this is part of why I love my brain is because I all like, because I said to myself one day, what if there's nothing wrong? And what if I start saying there's nothing wrong? Then what happens? And yeah, (laughs) so it was like, yay, brain. And so, you know, I think, well, I know that when parents get a diagnosis, um, the, the, there's a huge stigma attached to ADHD and, and that's all around the world. It's the butt of so many jokes, um, you know, or, oh, I can't, you know, oh, I can't focus today. I must have ADHD or, Mm -hmm. you know, just stuff like that. And so it's not, good to have that diagnosis because you're going to be put in that sort of pot of or pile of um, kids that are made fun of, parents that are told they're not doing a good job parenting, they need to be more strict or more lenient. <laughs> so um, so I want to, yeah, right? So I want to just back up and go, okay, let's let's start in the place where we say nothing's wrong. And, and like everybody else, it's a, what, what, what we need is to learn. And there was the, you know, the teacher mindset also, it's not about changing who you are. It's about learning new skills. I'm not going to take away anything that you are, but I also want to make sure that you're connecting with the world, connecting with your family, connecting with your kids um, because that's the most important thing. Um, you know, it's not it's not the grades you get. It's does your does your heart like function and you know the, can it connect? Yeah. Um, are you thriving? Exactly. And so yeah, so parents are absolutely relieved. And I have stories about you know like sometimes they'll say, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, and it's like. It's, you could be the best parent in the world, not doing anything wrong, but you still need s- different skills to parent that kid. Yeah. Um, 
It's a good and, reminder. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I have uh, four kids myself and sometimes wonder what the heck I'm doing wrong. Right. Exactly. And I've had experiences myself, um, like with my grandkids, for instance, where um, I know I'm not doing anything wrong, but I am not connecting. And so I have to reevaluate the situation because I'm the adult um, and sort of look at it. Okay. What does, what does she need right now? And how do I ask that? And so I can make a connection that she can't make. And that's really also a lot of times teachers and parents and therapists think about connection as, well, I'm doing all the right things. But connection is a two-way street. And if your kid can't hear what you're saying, can't receive what you're saying, then you're not making a connection. <laughs> you're, you're just talking at them. So I find it really pretty easy. Once you kind of know the secret, um, you have to, yeah, there are things to change in your family, but it's also pretty easy because, I mean, it's hard to manage school because schools generally are, as a teacher, I can say, are designed, you know, their classes are taught at a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, they're designed to socialize kids for the world that we live in. And some kids are not easily socialized in that way. And mm -hmm. so it's very scary for parents. It's very scary. I mean, so, but I'm very optimistic and, um, which I wasn't always, I mean, as a kid, I was not, um, but I've seen so much of, I've seen so much progress and I've seen, um, oh my gosh, I've seen like, you know, sort of going from like, I am, I'm too scared to go outside to, you know, I have a job now within a few months. It's mm. like, that's crazy, you know, it's, and it's so exciting. And so I bring that like excitement and optimism to your family. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most common challenges that you see from your clients? Um, <laughs> so I'm just laughing because they're, it's like, Many. <laughs> well, it's common, you know, so usually you get something about, um, I just want him to be motivated to do his schoolwork. And I'd be like, it's not fun to do schoolwork. So let's not let's not worry about him being motivated to do it. Let's just make him okay. let's make sure that he can get it done. Like okay. forget motivation. <laughs> hey, you're speaking um, to me right now. I think I've said that many times. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, in focus and, you know, parents typically will just, well, so will teachers, you know, it's like focus, focus. And, you know, and I'm like, that doesn't, work. I mean, that's Same like telling your pancreas to produce insulin. I mean, it doesn't work just because you command it. And then the other point is they're probably focused just not on you, what you want them to focus mm. on. So there's a lot of focus and motivation stuff. There's a lot of um, behavior. ADHD tends to be seen as, uh, you know, kids with behavior problems, basically. In some of the ways that you said, like blurting things out, maybe saying things that aren't socially acceptable. Could be rudeness. Um, yeah. In high yeah. school students, I get a lot of parents that say, um, you know, when I ask for the phone at the end of the day, my child says no, and then walks away. And it's like, mm -hmm. and you let him, you know, sort of like, like, okay, let's just kind of back up here. So a lot of what I do is backing up and make, making sure that the kid is getting their very essential needs met. Mm. A lot of kids um, with ADHD don't get enough sleep and have sleep issues okay. that, need, that have to be addressed. Um, they're very important because, you know, uh, a lack of sleep is not, it's going to make your ADD um, make it worse quirks or whatever is going to, yeah, it's going to enhance the negative side and not the positive side. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to focus when you're tired. 
Mm. So, so. Okay. So all that, those, you just named a whole bunch of top ones. And then um, in your coaching practice, what are some of the practical strategies that you recommend uh, in some of these areas? I'm sure there's many, and that's why you coach for X amount of time repeatedly because it takes a while, but yeah, in general. um, So the way I look at it is I have a lot of strategies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I need to find the ones that fit your kid yep. and your family because families are unique mm. in so many little ways, um, including how many times they've moved. It is, has someone died? Is someone get, does someone get sick a lot? I mean, just so many little things because connection depends on, on emotional connection and attachment. And so if the child is uh, informed by, or if the child's thoughts or emotions are informed by tragedy or um, adverse conditions, it's going to be harder for them to connect. So we want to make sure that, I want to make sure that I'm giving that child and that family what's going to work for them, because otherwise there's no point. so, and my feeling is if, you know, if I could tell you a rule to put, to put into play, but if you're not going to back it up, then let's just drop it. Like there's no point in having a rule that you're not going to follow uh, that a parent follow, follow. follow through with. Yeah. And so it's like, fine, we'll just drop it. We'll figure out a different way to like get to the goal you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so which so is a, a motivated kid that focuses, which you hear all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so strategies. Um, mostly, I'm going to start with how to get connected. What to, if I'm talking to a parent, it's off, often, I don't find that, like a lot of parents think, oh, I'm just not doing enough. And what I've found is that most parents are doing too much. Um, hmm. They're just trying to take all the information in and apply it and see what works. And, you know, that's a haphazard approach, (laughs) not taking care of, you know, the issue at hand, which is what I want to do is come in and go, here's the issue. Here's where we're going to focus. Let's not do this anymore because blah, blah, blah. Let's not do this anymore because blah, blah, blah. And, um, because is that because, um, if you're doing too many things at once, one, you could lose focus, and two, you don't know what's working. And e- yes, and it's doing ev- it's bringing everything in at a a level that's not really a commitment, or you know, it's well, let me just try this and see what happens. Okay, that didn't work. You know, you try it once, that didn't work, and mm-hmm. some things just don't work because you, the parent, is trying to look like the family next door that has the ADHD kid also, or, um, you know, oh, my mother used to teach special ed, so I'm going to ask her what to do. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a better chance if that's the situation, but um, but it's still about customizing it to the family. So, yeah. so, um, so I have different suggestions. Some, and they're not hard and fast rules because as you will find in some ADHD type publications, because they don't work for everybody. But you could say um, some kids want to have different places where they do their homework. Some people want to have one place where they do their homework that's just theirs. Um, I usually ask kids, um, you know, like, where would you feel comfortable doing your homework? And I don't care if it's a closet. you know, because a closet is enclosed and that might make them feel, you know, sort of swaddled and safer, um, sort of in their body and present instead of like scared. Um, I had one client that said, uh, so I live in the Pacific Northwest and, um, and he said he'd like to be able to do his homework outside leaning against a tree. And I said, okay, but what about the rain? (laughs) Well, so tarp camping is like a thing up here. <laughs> you take tarps and you you 
adjust them so that the rain doesn't it goes over there and it doesn't land on you so he's like I'll just take a tarp and figure that out and it's like <laughs> that concept is foreign to so many other people in the United States but you know it fits him some kids want to have a fan going because that soothes them there's a lot of there's a lot of soothing that needs to take place in order for somebody to um, make a connection. You're not going to want to connect to somebody or, or some situation that, um, that makes you feel um, less than or scared or um, not understood. Mm. Yeah. So I think, you know, connecting on the emotional level is always the first step, always. Mm -hmm. And I did that when I was teaching. We always spent the first um, few days to a week just because if I don't have the connection, I can't do anything else. I'm going to be constantly interrupting what I'm doing to address, you know, some behavior from somebody who is distracted or uncomfortable in some way. So my job as a teacher or a counselor or a coach is to first create an environment where they can feel comfortable. Mm. Um, there, I like that. Yeah, it. I mean, it works. Yeah. The one one parent told me she took her kid to a um, therapist who was an expert at executive function, ADHD type stuff, and um, her kid didn't. The so the first day the therapist gave the kid um, a set of uh, activities to practice to build executive function and <laughs> I like that face you just made and I <laughs> and the kid didn't want to and never went back and I was like that guy is not an expert in executive function or ADHD I would never give somebody work to do when I just meet them mm. not no way yeah, I, I think that uh, executive functioning therapy or uh, practicing that is is wonderful. Um, but the, the thing is, you have to find the right person to guide right. you because they're not all the same. Right. And so I also wouldn't, you know, want to tell someone, hey, well, that's not a thing you need to work on. It, it might not be a thing with that person. Yeah. Uh, there's other ways and other practitioners or, or therapists who can help you. But that, that applies to every every single type of therapy you're going to do there. Just exactly. And and I like to say um, we are late bloomers, not non-bloomers. And so it's helpful to know which executive functions are sort of at a higher level um, that your kid might not get until he's 21, even though there are 16-year-olds that can do this. Totally. And that's, um, you know, actually kind of normal. If you look at the brain, yeah. it doesn't, it just, I try to right. tell this to my 13 year old, um, that her brain won't be fully developed even until her early twenties. Yep. Late, but yet in late twenties, depending. Yeah. Certain, certain parts. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I think they, they are, ex a lot is expected of children starting in middle school. For sure. And and along with that expectation is a failure to be the ones to teach them how to get there. You know, self-advocacy is a big deal in schools. But there, you have a bunch of kids that don't know how to advocate for themselves. <laughs> no, And no. are suffering with anxiety. And self-advocacy is scary and so if you're not going to teach them how to do it, they're not going to do it. And then you're going to be mad at them because they're not advocating for themselves. And it's like, dang. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Cause they have to advocate for themselves every day in one way or another, but often it's a first time situation for them. Each situation right. that comes up, yes, it's like, what do exactly. I say to this person? Or, exactly. or they didn't know that they should say anything. <laughs> you know, I compare it to something like walking or talking or toilet training. It's like, yeah. you know, when you're first potty training a kid, 
you're like, you have to go in the bathroom with them. You have to sing a song, do a dance, read a book, you know, give them M&Ms, whatever it is. But they they aren't always there. You know, by the time they're 12, they're not going to say, oh, can you come in the bathroom with me and sing a song? Um, you know, development is progressive mm. unless there's something that is significant that that stops or slows the development. It's always going to be progressive. So the, the amount of help you're giving your child now does not have to be the amount of help you give your child when they're 30 or 40. It just, it just doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) It won't last forever. No, it won't. And, and then they become, and, and and they don't automatically turn, you know, it's not like at 26, their brain kicks in and now they can do anything. And and the day before they couldn't, you know, um, learning is progressive and so is executive function accumulation. And there are ways to um, speed up, encourage executive function development by um, like, like the way I do a behavior plan, which is a family plan, not a, that kid plan. Okay. The way I do that has so many opportunities to develop executive function in kids, in kids. Um, because you can't like, you can't go to someone with ADHD and say, we're going to learn this executive function today. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be on the fly and just integrate, weave it in to every. Exactly, to everyday stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everyday stuff. Okay, so you wrote um, six word lessons for parenting your child with ADHD. 100 lessons to take your ADHD child from blocked to brilliant. <laughs> Love the name. title. <laughs> okay, so can you share a few of those lessons with us? Oh, I wish I had my book. Um, so, so some of the stuff that I'm saying, especially in the first chapter, I want to change people's mindsets or understandings of ADHD. So I do say it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with your child. And then the next mm-hmm. one is there's nothing wrong with you. Um, I have. I love it. Yeah. And because I want to get them from the start, like, this is, we're not going to be playing in the same pool you've been playing in, so to speak. Mm. Um, No, just pausing there, like, gosh, there's nothing wrong with your child and there's nothing wrong with you. That applies, gosh, to every parent listening. Right. And I mean, yes, there are challenges. I'm not saying there aren't challenges, uh, but, but to label the challenges as, um, you know, deficits or evidence of a disorder or, 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 you know, that's just looking at ADHD and everything else as a deficit. And there's so much more to ADHD and so much more to autism and so much more to all of these things than, than the, um, the challenges. Like if we just could learn more about it, we would, we could focus on the positive things. Um, so yeah, I don't want them to, I really want to smash that one, um, you know, that there's something wrong because that's just very shameful and I've been there. So yeah. um, it's not a nice thing to do to a kid for one thing, you know, <laughs> like to be like, oh yes, there's something you, there's something wrong with you. You, your brain is different. It's like, Every brain is different. Okay. Yeah. I have found that um, I have spent time in my own, um, you know, self-reflection and um, coached myself to, you know, when I feel like go into there's something wrong here, I have to back myself out of that. Exactly. Um, Because you can't really make any changes or take even any beneficial actions if you're stuck in there's something wrong. Yeah. And then along those lines, um, I also have a lesson on, I call them red flag words mm-hmm. so, or phrases. So everybody has, and you said yours was, um, I'm doing something wrong, but everybody has a phrase that they say to themselves pretty, pretty often. 
and it's completely wrong and it's leading them somewhere else that mm -hmm. isn't helpful. So, mm -hmm. um, so I have a client who a lot, a lot of mine and this particular client I'm talking about is, is yeah, I'm fine. I've got this. And when I say that, I'm like, Whoa, okay, back up. Cause I know that if I say I'm fine, I got this, I don't need help that that is not true. I've seen it time and time again. And, you know, I can do this on my own, you know, that kind of thing, it's which is creating a wall. Totally. And it's a typical thing for like teenage boys to say, because teenage boys aren't supposed to ask for help. And um, so I got this, I can do it on my own. I don't need your help, mom. You know, my, what I want to do is encourage um, kids to ask for help by showing that I am available. You know, there are times when I sit on Zoom like they'll say, oh, I haven't, haven't done my homework for blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, let's do it now. And I sit on Zoom while they're doing their homework. And then I, periodically I ask, how's it going? And then they'll say, um, well, I don't know what this is. And I'll say, oh, let me look it up. But they're doing their homework. I'm just turning homework into um, something that isn't as painful and and is accompanied by love because my my clients know that I really really care about them. Mm -hmm. um, I really believe that these ADHD kids are brilliant. Are the future? Yeah, brilliant. They're <laughs> future leaders and future creators, or even now they're creating, and mm -hmm. um, they could come up with solutions that you know. Um, Israel has the highest incidence of um, ADHD in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. And it also leads in science and technology um, and medicine. So, <laughs> okay. You know, it's that it, because they're trying different things is my assumption. I, um, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay to try different things. Yeah. So. Okay, so where can listeners find more, find out more about you, Yafa? So um, my website that I'm redoing, like, um, it's a project I'm doing over, well, it's a project <laughs> I'm going to be doing sort of from the end of May to the first week in June, uh, mm -hmm. but it's still functional. Um, my website is blockedtobrilliant.com. And you can also just put in yafaluria.com and you'll get to the same place. Um, so that's one place. Mm -hmm. um, the other place that I recommend is YouTube because I have a lot of videos on YouTube and I'm constantly oh, adding. I have over a hundred videos on YouTube and I'm constantly adding to them. And, and anybody who's listening to one of those videos if you whoever you are have a question for me just e either email me the question or um, put it in the comments mm -hmm. of a youtube video and i will do a video that answers your question oh wonderful anonymously right yeah Love i it. won't i won't say your name or where you live or what your kid's name is or anything like that but but I will answer your question. I, it's important for me to know gender and um, age because, you know, somebody, somebody said to me, I have, a, I have three boys, three, six, and nine. And um, I'm not sure how to do whatever, such and such. And I'm like, which one are you talking about? Because, <laughs> you know, three, six, and nine, that's a lot of years. They're going to be... Yeah. You know, you're going to handle things differently depending. True. Yeah. So, so, and, and for the, books. and my, and I have books and I'm writing another one that is, oh, it's probably going to be a masterpiece because it is so hard to write. <laughs> um, that's my experience is that the, the best ones are just really hard to write. Um, yeah. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I, what I want to do. Oh, and then I have an easing. So 
the best places to get information to see what I'm about and um, get comfortable, if that's what you want to do, would be YouTube and subscribing to the easing, um, which you can do from my website. And because I put a lot of information in those two places, I put the most information in those two places. I think Facebook kind of gets unwieldy after years and years. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not too active on there, but um, I keep it because I think it's a place, one other place to connect with people. But yeah. Yeah. Are you on Instagram? You didn't, that's the one place you didn't mention. <laughs> I'm not on Instagram and I'm not on TikTok. I oh, was gosh. on Instagram, but I don't like it. And so <laughs> fair. that is fair. I mean, there's so much to look at. And is that yeah. where I want to put my attention? Sort hey, of? That is so true because it's like, especially if you know the way that you get distracted mm -hmm. or exactly all it is, is one giant distraction for people. Exactly. All these colors. Exactly. <laughs> then oh, you find you've been on it for an hour. Colors is like, that's, that's always going to distract me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, exactly. I have to, I have to take care of this brain. It's, mm -hmm. it's an important thing and it needs tender, loving care. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, it, it has been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you. I want to ask you one last question. Sure. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with the brain possible community to be complete? I, I just want to say, don't give up. There is somebody out there, whatever is going on, there is somebody who can help you. And um, I've seen it so many times that if you just start using your resources to ask around, like, who can I get to help? Um, but it, But it is really important to not do it on your own, to get professional help, whatever that looks like. Um, I don't even think we were supposed to do life on our own. So mm. uh, yeah. find a, find a friend or a teacher or a mentor or a professional and, and uh, let them help you. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today and that you learned something new. Do you have a question for Yafa? Let us know how we can be useful in your journey. Email us at info at thebrainpossible.com. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and share our podcast if that feels true for you. You may also consider visiting our website for more information on stories, therapies, and products that we think that you will love. As always, thank you for spending your precious time with us at The Brain Possible. See you next week and be well.